Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I was really intrigued when my team introduced me to Allison Lowry. She is the CMO at Vacasa. And Vacasa, if you're not familiar with it, is a great way for people like you and me to get away, to get into a home that we don't own, but we get to experience for a week or more, hopefully a lot more these days. And they have really scaled as vacation rentals have changed in terms of how we think of a vacation. This company has over 35,000 properties that they manage and over 8,000 employees on the ground helping with this. Allison oversees a team of 60 to 70 marketers there, and we dig into how her career has continued to follow a path of these two-sided marketplaces. Think of Vacasa, and they need to sell to the homeowner as well as the vacationer. At the same time, other stops in her career like Angie's List, now Angie was an opportunity again for a marketplace. Prior to that, back at cars.com, you see a trend of two things. One trend is being in a very emotional place, which is the home. And the other element is that marketplace. We dig into both here and how you as a marketer can think about building a team and going to market with those challenges. Allison, thanks so much for finding time. I am really excited to chat, not just with you, but hear about the businesses that you've been involved in. Let's start with Vacasa and how you found this CMO gig. Great. So thanks, by the way, for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, how I found the Vacasa CMO gig. Uh, well, this is my third marketplace business. So I had spent time previously um, in the automotive industry, in the home services industry, and I was looking for um, a company that where I could continue to be on the consumer marketing side, where there was a real opportunity to make an impact for the full experience that the consumer was having. And so really, really fell in love with the idea of Vacasa because not only is this a company that it has expertise in marketing and merchandising vacation homes on behalf of their owners, but we're also doing all the hard work to maintain the homes, clean the toilets, change the sheets, et cetera. And so, you know, at the end of the day, this all adds up to a really positive experience, both for a homeowner as well as a guest. So I definitely want to get in more to this term experience, because it's one that I talk about all the time. And, and I think it's something that we obsess over. But I want to come back to your point of the connection between a number of your career stops. And there's two things that I look at them and see similarity. One you hit already is the marketplace component, but the other is the focus on the home. Uh, everything from Angie, which is you know originally Angie's List, uh, you know National Kitchen and Bath Association, and now at Vacasa. I mean, this is living in the home, which is such a personal space. What is it about that that's drawn you in over the years? Uh, well, I think the home is such a central place. And it's, you know, at, at Home Advisor, we used to say that home is the most important place on earth. And at Vacasa, we say that a great vacation has the power to be life-changing. 
And I truly believe both of those statements. And so I think that there's something very magical about both caring for and investing in a primary home, but then also being able to have an exceptional experience vacationing in a home or owning a vacation home that can be you know, profitable, uh, like a business. So what was it, at what point in your career did you decide that you were going to continue to stay in that, I don't want to call it a lane because you've done some very different things in the area of home management and home experience, but at what point did you say to yourself, that is where I'm going to continue my career, or is it just kind of fallen in your lap that way? Well, I would say it's somewhat coincidental, but really backed on the theme of, you know, love what you do and have some passion for what it is that you do. And so, you know, the home is really exciting for me. You know, my first experience, obviously, at, you know, with 10 years at Home Advisor and Angie's List was all about how do we create this safe and comfortable place to live. And with Vacasa, you know, I, I definitely didn't go out specifically looking for another brand or business that's centered on the home. But what I realized is that this is an area where I've developed some expertise and where, you know, I feel really excited and jazzed about the idea of helping people both make the most of their second homes or helping guests find um, exceptional experiences in one. That's great. I, I, I want to dig deeper on becoming a CMO. And in your case, the first time you did it, you managed to earn that opportunity at Home Advisor after you know number of years where you said, okay, I can do this. I can come in with a focus and then get to that point. How has the approach that you've had as a CMO been different in that instance versus say at Angie or now at Vacasa where you were hired as the CMO? I think about that a lot. Uh, and I'm still relatively new. I'm about a year in to my role at Vacasa. Um, and I spend a lot of time reflecting on how was my experience different at Home Advisor versus now. Um, so, you know, I spent 10 plus years at Home Advisor and Angie's List, and I had an opportunity to come in and play a lot of different roles in marketing before I ultimately became CMO. And that really helped me gain a breadth of experience. So for example, I came in as the head of digital marketing and the title head of digital marketing probably didn't even make sense at the time because marketing at the company at that point in time was exclusively digital marketing, mm -hmm. um, very performance heavy. And so I spent a long time earning my chops as a performance marketer. Um, up until the point in time where we decided to make a material change to the business. We decided to rebrand the company, to change the business model um, under the leadership of a new CEO. And so that then gave me an opportunity to sort of step out of my comfort zone in performance marketing and start to lead research and brand positioning and you know visual ID development and so forth. So I was able to gather a broader set of experience over those years, which put me in a place where, you know, I think I was ready to be CMO. At Vacasa, you know, as you mentioned, I stepped into the role, which is a different experience because I think stepping into the role, you're sort of expected to have all of the expertise already. And 
you know, as someone who has spent a career, you know, constantly learning new things and making a point of jumping around into new territories for the sake of learning, that was a different experience because I had to come in and create a unified marketing team at a company where it had never existed. I had to stand up new functions like engagement marketing and product marketing um, that just hadn't existed before or in any kind of formal capacity. And so, you know, coming into the role, I felt like I had the ability to draw from experience in prior roles, but needed to work very quickly to get it set up, right? I didn't have a 10-year time horizon to be able to work through all the things. So I had to accomplish a lot in the first year. But I'm also making a point of trying to consistently learn because what fun is it if there's nothing new to learn? You you hit on one element in there, which was the contrast of coming up with a great team around you versus being expected to build that team around you. How, I mean, bit of a tough question, and I don't need you to call anyone out on your team, but how realistic do you think it is as a CMO to be able to work with the team that's in place versus the need and expectation even to bring some people that you've worked with before who know your style or new people that can learn your style? Yeah, I mean, there there are um, benefits to both approaches. Um, my current team, you know, I came in and... I got to know the existing leaders more so than trying to evaluate them individually. I came in and said, okay, well, what is, what are the problems that need to be solved and do we have the right people in the right places? And in several cases, absolutely. You know, I inherited a really, really high performing team. And then in areas where we just did not have that function stood up, I had to make key hires. I have a combined team right now, and I really value the experience and tribal knowledge that some of the um, people who predated me bring to the table. And I also value the fresh set of eyes and thinking that some of the new team members bring. It's it's a nice balance that you get to have in that situation. And it's you know never an easy adjustment for those who are in place. You know, to have a new leader come in, let alone new team members who are going to sit beside them. But, you know, perhaps with that balance, you can create a new team on each go. Allison, we're going to keep you around. We're going to take a break. We're going to hit on probably another area that you opened up with, which was the reality of the marketplace, the two-sided impact of going to market at Vacasa. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences.
I feel like Allison's focus on the home is an exciting one, but also a dangerous one. And I'm gonna give a little bit of perspective because I spent a little part of my career in the home renovation space, building high-end kitchens and cabinetry for high-end homes. Very different world from the tech world that I love today. And one thing that I can tell you is such an emotional space. And Allison and I talked a little about this offline of the reality that when we're in someone's home, when we're selling something, whether it's a car, whether it's home, it's such a personal purchase. Now, I remember that being very difficult and challenging from an operations perspective, but it's also an amazing opportunity. And I think the way we have to think about that is in any purchase, how do we make it more personal? How do we get into the psyche of someone so that what they're buying is something that they're ultimately vested in? When that's the case, we can create an amazing experience for them by bringing our product to that next level. Right out of the start of this podcast, you highlighted a really interesting part of your career, which is a focus not just on the home, but on companies where there's a marketplace. And a marketplace, for those who don't follow, is this idea of two different segments that you have to market to. You've got the buyer and you've got the seller in some cases, defined in different ways. How have you structured teams around that? So that's right. This is the third marketplace business that I have been at. The first was cars.com, which was a marketplace for car sellers and car buyers to connect. The second was Home Advisor and Angie's List, which is a marketplace for home services. And now at Vacasa, uh, we are a marketplace connecting homeowners with those who would like to stay in those homes for vacation. And so any type of marketplace business presents a unique challenge and opportunity for marketing. The challenge being, how do you identify your two really unique audiences and make sure that you're constructing programs that speak to them in the right ways and that accomplish your goals, um, knowing that they're very different. But then how do you also present a common or unified view of the brand? And so you know, I've structured teams in a handful of different ways. In some cases, my marketing teams have been unified around both sides of the marketplace. And in other cases, they've been completely separate. So a good example would be that several years in at Home Advisor, we actually had a distinct marketing organization tied to marketing to service providers. And then one that was uniquely set up to market to homeowners in need of services. At Vacasa, we are somewhat blended, meaning we have a specific performance marketing team that is dedicated to bringing on new homes and homeowners under management. And then we have a separate practice that is uniquely tied to driving guest demand in the form of bookings. But we have a handful of teams that sit in the middle, whether it's product marketing or engagement marketing or the brand marketing or the content teams that serve both sides. So it's really interesting. And it's it's got to be tricky to be the CMO leading 
these different teams, but also connected teams. A question for you, and I don't know if you've thought about it this way, but leading into this podcast, my, my excitement around this was you always hear a CMO say, I'm either a B2C marketer or I'm a B2B marketer. In your world, I feel like with that description, you need to be both. So where do you look for inspiration and how do you try and guide your team? Is it the B2B mindset or B2C, or is there something in between there? Well, in the case of Vacasa, I would say we are more of a B2C to C company. So both of our core audiences are ultimately consumers. Uh, we work with homeowners and we work with guests, which is unique and different to the past two marketplaces I've been at, where there's been a much more clear divide between B2C and B2B. I suppose you could argue that the homeowner side of our business at Vacasa is more like a B2B marketing play because in many cases, our homeowners are treating their property like it is a business. Uh, they, they generate revenue from it. Regardless of the label, whether it's B2B or B2C, this is where you know I have to think through how do you, how do you get deeply into the mindset of whichever side of the marketplace you happen to be thinking about at this at any given moment. Um, and so we do a lot of research. We have a lot of customer outreach to try and understand what's on the minds of our core audiences. And you do have to stay nimble and flexible because it's, you're right, as a CMO of one of these types of businesses, like I have to be thinking about each side almost in equal parts, but there are not always similarities in terms of how we talk to or think about each of those different audiences. Maybe just getting into the way you're measuring success of these different groups and the overlap. Can you share some of the key metrics? What, what would a dashboard look like on each side of this marketplace for your own internal success? Mm -hmm. So I, I would say for, for both owners and guests, there are metrics tied to acquisition, meaning how effectively are we generating bookings? How effectively are we bringing on new homes under management? So there's a whole series of metrics around the acquisition. But then beyond that, that's where the metrics start to become more similar because now we're talking about engagement and long-term satisfaction. And we see that on the guest side in the form of repeat booking and net promoter score. And on the owner side, we see that in the form of retention and you know various pulse measurements of customer satisfaction. So I love that you brought it there because we, we started off this conversation today and you hit on the word experience. And I said, I wanted to come back to that. So what is that one guiding metric that you rally the company as a whole around to determine that success? Because it's it's one thing in a hotel environment if the guest is happy at the end of the day. But to your point, it's not enough for the guest to be happy. You also need this business who's choosing to partner with you to live at that level. So how do you find that unifying single metric or does it not exist? Well, so 
I would say the one unifying metric across, and I'm going to add a third component to this marketplace in a minute, by the way, but, but ultimately customer satisfaction. And we use, we use net promoter score across guests, across owners, and we also measure it among our employees. We have a very large employee base and, you know, one that is significantly comprised of um, you know, field employees where you would imagine there may be a high degree of turnover. And so it's very important to us to be able to understand how satisfied both our customers and employees are. Now, ultimately, satisfaction is not the metric that we are managing to. Satisfaction is just a metric that is a leading indicator of, on the guest side, something like repeat booking, or on the owner side, retention. Or on the employee side, you know, ongoing employment, and you know the the level of commitment that is that is brought to the job. So, you know, I do think that that NPS or customer satisfaction is an extremely important metric. It's, um, but again, it's not the be all end all because ultimately it has to translate into something positive for the business, and that's where it differs between audiences. I, I, I would find it interesting, and I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to do this, to see that connection of that last element of ENPS, Employee Net Promoter Score, mm-hmm. and how that correlates to your customer's happiness. Because you know, in your case, as you said, you have, I, I believe it's over 8,000 employees worldwide. There's a huge effect, especially when you're so customer-facing, in terms of whether this this customer wants to work with you and whether in turn in your marketplace, the customer of the customer, as you said, wants to work. There's got to be a trickle down in terms of the overall emotion. That's right. And so what we know is that there is a direct correlation between between guest and owner satisfaction and the degree to which our local teams are able to service those guests and owners. They play such a critical role in the making of a great vacation, whether it's, you know, an in-person check-in or solving a problem, you know, help the toaster oven's not working. Okay, we're on it. We'll replace it quickly to just, you know, taking exceptionally good care of homes for owners and future guests. And so while I don't have the data in front of me, you know, I'm totally confident that you know, the degree to which our employees are satisfied and committed to their roles translates into the satisfaction of our owners and guests because they are where the rubber meets the road. And, you know, ultimately they are providing the services to both of those parties. It's a really interesting point and one that I think, regardless of what environment you might be leading marketing in, if you're listening to this podcast, the ultimate idea is when your employees are motivated, they're going to create an infectious experience for customers to come back. So I, I, I really enjoyed this, this chat, Allison. We're going to keep you around for a few more questions right after a break here on The Marketer's Journey. That conversation with Allison is really interesting to me and the simple correlation between ENPS, Employee Net Promoter Score, and NPS, the satisfaction of our customers. 
Now, Allison, after we chatted, told me about a fantastic book, and I plan to read this one. It's called Setting the Table by Danny Meyer, and it's the founder of a number of high-end restaurants, as well as the very popular Shake Shack. And the idea there is if we make our employees happy, then there is a simple correlation to making our customers happy and ultimately our investors happy. This is very logical. And think about the amount of interaction you have with a brand through the company. That doesn't matter if you're in a service industry or if you have a tech support team that's answering phone calls. When they have a good vibe, when they have a good approach with customers, it is infectious. And that is how best brands are created and how retention ultimately is locked in. Allison, you've shared so much about your career, the focus within it, understanding the complexities of two sides of a marketplace. So my question here is one that's always tied to where you see the next CMO coming from. And that's the idea, do they need to specialize or do they need to be more of a generalist? And I, and I think maybe applying to the world of marketplaces that you've come in, do you think it's important that they've lived on both of those sides of a two-sided marketplace? to jump into a role like yours? I think it's important that a CMO at any business can really deeply understand the customer that is primarily being served, or in the case of a marketplace, customers. While you may not have you know, the precise experience of being that customer, I think it's critical that a CMO understands how to get into their heads. And that can be done through research that can be done through shadowing that can be done through a lot of things but i'd find it really difficult to believe that you could get into the head of that you could be an effective marketer if you haven't sort of put your feet in their shoes it's great great context great advice so let's switch over a little bit we we breezed over the importance of content as we were talking about you know the two sides and who we need to bring to the table but for you as a cmo these days what type of content gets you to click I, I mean, I think this is going to sound so obvious, but the more, um, the more tailored to my specific needs in life, the better. And I also need content with a little bit of wow factor. The wow factor could be photography. The wow factor could be facts. The wow factor could be some kind of a promise or reveal. But to me, like those are the most engaging types of content is if, if, if you hit all three of those things, you know, it's super relevant to something that I need right now. It is, you know, has something beautiful to look at or something salient to, to read and understand. And then on top of that, there's, you know, you're leaving, a, you're burying the lead a little bit. That to me is going to be the most powerful type of content out there. Uh, that's so well put. You know, building off of that, I know at Vacasa you have over 35,000 properties that you manage. How do you ensure to personalize and tailor so that someone can find what they're looking for amid so much choice? So we have invested significantly in merchandising every single one of the homes that's under our management. And the, the term merchandising means a lot of things. It means painstakingly writing paragraphs and paragraphs, descriptions of the home, cataloging all the amenities in the home, you know, everything from like the brand of stove that it has to 
how close it is to certain attractions or amenities in, in an area. And so we spend a lot of time getting to know these homes. We take photography that is, you know, of the highest quality. We do 3D walkthroughs. I mean, we spend a lot of time getting to know these homes, making sure that we are putting the home's best foot forward as we distribute it for consumption by guests. Really, really interesting. Now, I want to take everything we've talked about today and wrap it up with one really tough question for you. And that is, how do you make time for yourself? And, and I imagine you have a great answer given that you work at an organization that's all about taking a break and getting away. But how do you balance that as a busy CMO? Well, <laughs> I don't know that I have any secret sauce here, really. I listen to it was a recording online of someone giving a um, commencement speech at um, you know, prestigious university. And they basically said, you know, I may appear as though I'm succeeding on the outside, but oftentimes if I'm <laughs> succeeding somewhere, I'm failing somewhere else. And I heard that and thought, wow, that what a depressing thought, because we've sort of been made to think that we can have it all. But the reality is, I think that I just have to manage expectations for myself really carefully. I'm somebody who wants to succeed at everything, but you know, the reality is on some days I'm going to do really well at certain things and other and fail at, at others. And it may be the complete opposite a week later. But just, you know, having realistic expectations that it's okay to not always be on top of every aspect of your life as long as you keep a long-term balance. So I guess in short, I don't think that there's such thing as tying up any given day with a nice bow, but I do think over time you can manage to do and achieve all the things as long as there's recognition that like there's going to be some failures on a day-to-day -day basis. I absolutely love that. I, I think you took what you first heard as depressing and turned it into some realism with some optimism when you look at it in, in the balance. This entire podcast has been so valuable to everyone tuning in. I thank you so much, Allison. If you've tuned into this one for their first episode of The Marketer's Journey, check out all the other guests that we've had. Every CMO's path is a little bit different. Yours, no doubt, is taking its own journey. And hopefully one day you'll be on this podcast to share it. Until next time, thanks for tuning in and thanks to Allison Lauer. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.